Well, good morning, church. It's good to have you with us for our morning service. We're opening up God's Word and uh, continuing the series, Lessons for a Quarantine Church. This is part seven. The topic this morning is learning how to live in God's presence continually. Learning how to live in God's presence continually. The text, I've been looking at some verses from the Psalms. The text is Psalm 25, verse 5. And it reads like this. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. And and the phrase I want to focus attention on is that last phrase. For you I wait all the day. And what I'm thinking about is, is, is this, that those words just seem unique. They seem to describe something very different from, and these are also very biblical concepts, calling on God in the day of trouble or rising early to seek his face. Those are biblical concepts for sure. But the difference is this, these words For you, I wait all the day. They don't seem to describe any one particular time slot at all. They're not limited to one moment of the week or the month or the day. So so in other words, these, these words, this phrase, it doesn't describe what we might typically think of as um, the Christian's devotional life. Devotional life is good, vital. But these words from our text, they seem to describe something deeper, something that that maybe grows out of the devotional life, something that follows upon the devotional life, at least if the devotional life is to have a kind of transforming power in my life. This other phrase, for you I wait all the day, we need to think about it. I would contend... That in these words, for you I wait all the day, we might have the reason for the most, well, the most common complaint about the devotional life. The most specific and repeated complaint that I hear from sincere, well-intentioned Christians is they find their devotions dry or they find them boring. They don't find life in them. And as much as they wish otherwise, they, they don't get They don't get out of their time in the Word and in prayer what they'd like to get out of it. And that's why I want to, I really want to study this morning that particular phrase because I think that last phrase, for you I wait all the day, it can help make your study of the Word, it can help make your prayer time with Father God, your Christian life in general, I think it can make it more impacting. I think that's what we all want put traction in it. The first point is the main point, and then I have a few other ones, but they really just kind of restate and amplify this one main point. Point number one, for any serious Christian, knowing God requires more than visiting God. That's what stands out, isn't it? That's what shines so brightly in that phrase, on you I wait all the day. I have a a couple of old books. People don't read him much anymore, but Malcolm Muggeridge, 
Philip Yancey writes of an experience of a Christian columnist named Malcolm Muggridge in the early 70s. And Muggridge was stunned to learn that members of the Soviet intellectual elite were experiencing a renewed interest in spiritual things. And Muggridge, the reporter, he met with a a Russian dissident living in England. And he told Muggridge of the revival in the Soviet Union. And Muggridge writes in his book, and he says, I asked him how this could have happened, given the enormous anti-religious brainwashing that was done on the citizenry and the absence of all Christian literature, including the scriptures. His response was memorable, Muggridge writes. The authorities, he said, forgot to suppress the works of Tolstoy, one of the most perfect expositions of the Christian faith for modern times. Now, if that's true, if that's what Tolstoy was assessed as being, listen to what Tolstoy said about carrying the kingdom of God in your heart throughout the day. In other words, when you hear Tolstoy's comments, think about that phrase, on you I wait all the day. Here's what Tolstoy wrote. A man who professes an external religious law is like someone standing in the light of a lantern fixed to a post. It is light all around him, but there is nowhere further for him to walk. A man who possesses the words of Christ in the heart is like a man carrying a lantern on a long pole before him, always lighting up fresh ground and always encouraging him to walk further. So Tolstoy's picture comparison of those two types of lamps is brilliant. One of them is portable and one isn't. And in that picture, Tolstoy is describing two kinds of religious experience that relate to our text this morning. One of them doesn't go anywhere else. It has a fixed point, commands, doctrines, regulations, rituals, forms. The other is totally taken up into the life. It carries the dynamic of the kingdom along everywhere it goes into everything that it touches. Now, if that's true, then the important question is what makes the difference between those two experiences, the way Tolstoy illustrates them? What's the difference between static and transforming, ongoing religious profession? To find a verse that could answer that question That would be worth gold. And the psalmist, in our text, tells us the difference. It has to do with understanding and maintaining the vital link between the ingredients that nourish the Christian faith and the actual living of that faith moment by moment. So let let me try and say it a little bit clearer. If, if, In my mind, the picture I have of my waiting on God 
is something that I do, perhaps in my devotional exercises, something I do and then leave, it will have very limited value, very limiting, limited transforming power. It won't, if it's, if it's a passing visit, it, it'll be more like the segment of an orange. But it won't be something that I carry with me into all the activities of the day. A lot of times, pastors in their sermons, I've done it. We even refer to devotions as a form of spiritual exercise. And, and that has its place as long as it's properly understood. After all, we do have to do devotions. They don't just happen to us automatically. And there is value in that exercise. There's value in the discipline of a devotional life. But if the end or the goal of the exercise becomes bound to the moment, the feeding, the teaching, the devotions themselves, then, then we might just start to think of the whole Christian life as bound up and contained in those moments, in those separate times, church gatherings, sermons, prayer meetings, Bible studies. And we might leave it all detached from this habit of waiting on God all the day. Okay, point number two. Approaching God is never something you can do and be done with. Here's an important life principle regarding your walk with God. I have not properly or fully understood entering the presence of the Lord if it's something that I can leave behind. Genuine spirituality is marked by the way in which it waits on God all the day. And the psalmist, he's very careful to explain the meaning of this wonderful phrase. I didn't read the surrounding verses, but look at Psalm 25, 4 and 5. He writes and says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Now look carefully at those words. If you've got a Bible, put your finger right under the words. Make me to know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. There's a vital difference, isn't there, between learning truth and being led in truth. Learning truth is a mental concept. Being taught in the truth is a moving concept. It brings your life into the things you know. That's why the psalmist talks about knowing God's ways. Verse 4. And his paths. Verse 4. See, you can't learn a path like you can learn math. To learn a, a path, to learn a way, you have to walk in the path. You can't just hear about it. And that's why, obviously, that's why David doesn't say, the Lord is my professor. He says he's my shepherd. Nothing in the Christian life will work 
however well practiced, however deeply learned, nothing will work as it's supposed to work unless the Lord leads you in the way of those things, on the path of those things. Peter says they'll be increasing in your life. Oh, I can call on God. Precious truth. I can call on God, and I should. I can go to church repeatedly, and I should. I can read my Bible frequently, and I must. And I would challenge anyone who questioned my faith. But I know when I'm coming and going with God. I can tell when I approach him and then go my own way. And so here's, here's the warning and the invitation of the psalmist. I will never be able to make my Christian life work that way. Not long term. It was never intended to work that way. You have to wait on the Lord all the day. Now we need to get practical. Point number three, learning how to wait on God all the day. Pastor Don, you don't understand. I'm not like you. I don't get paid just to think about spiritual stuff. I have to go to college. I have to go to university. I have to go to work. Do you think I'm some kind of monk living in a monastery? Well, no. No, and I suppose most of us will never be monks in a monastery. Nor was David. But busy people can and must learn to wait on God all the day. The man, remember, the man who penned those words wasn't some pastor in rural Nebraska. This was a heavily stressed king with a military empire Here's what everyone must do to wait on God all the day. Let me give you these practical steps. A, recall to your mind the presence and words of Jesus with frequency. In other words, don't let them slip into the subconscious part of your mind. We know these words from Jesus in John 15, four through seven. Jesus seems to to want to emphasize this idea. Of course, it's a, a New Testament development of this idea from the psalm of waiting on God all the day. Jesus kind of wants to, to illustrate how that relates to my walk with him personally. Here's what he says, John 15, four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And then just to make it real clear, I am the vine. You, was he pointing at the disciples? You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, calling and going. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and just dries up. And then they gather them, they cast them into the fire, they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. I think we can see the principle here. This picture is wonderfully simple. Jesus 
labors to get the idea across that there, there can be no detached spiritual life, regardless of the amount of study and learning that there might be. The spiritual life, life in Christ, it's not something I can live with my own willpower for one minute. Jesus says part of abiding in him, that's the way, that's his way of describing waiting on God all the day. Part of it is keeping his words in us, verse 7. So, again, the point I'm making here is there's a crucial distinction between reading his words and recalling his words. Abiding in Jesus means I'm, I'm, uh, I'm programmed by his words. So here's what this means. You have your devotions. Maybe you have them in the morning. After you start your day with the Lord, just encapsulate some principle. You don't have to memorize big, huge blocks, but pick a principle that you've learned from the words of Jesus and then put that principle into one sentence. And then during the day, repeatedly restate that principle over and over. Keep the power of that principle alive in your heart. Do it all the day. B, here's another step. Remember to whom you belong all the day. If you don't get that right, you won't get anything else right. I always use the illustration. It's like buttoning up your coat. You get the first button in the wrong hole, it's going to be wrong all the way down. Some things have to be started right if they have a ghost of a chance of finishing right. And so here's a foundational principle that just needs to be branded onto your heart and you need to do it every day. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? If you start living your life like you're your own, you're going to get everything else wrong. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Without that understanding, I will see, think of the first point. Without that understanding that I'm not my own, what is the point in remembering the words of Jesus? I'll see no point to, to sort of ingraining the words of Jesus all day long if I think I'm my own boss and my own Lord. If you see yourself as your own boss, your own thoughts will constantly override God's word. And that means all of your devotions are virtually useless. Not only that, they'll start to become just condemning. Ingrain the words of Jesus. Say the principle over and over again all day. Remember you're not your own all day. See, do not allow into your mind things that will smuggle in satanic deception, and rob precious truth of its intended power. So what we're saying here is part of waiting on God all the day is increasing the security over your mind. You know, we're in this pandemic and everybody's watching the border crossings. The most important border crossing is the one around your cranium if you're walking with Jesus. 
And yet Christians will constantly allow all sorts of things just to float in there while they're trying to learn God's truth. It won't work that way. That is the tightest border crossing. The dangerous traffic is far more sinister than any virus. Let me look at a passage that I think helps to illustrate this. You know it. It's Ephesians 6, uh, 11 to 17. Paul writes and he says these words. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So everything here that he's going to write is designed with this this border crossing idea. It's designed with not just learning the truth, but protecting the life. Those are two different things. For our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, so in view of all those dangers, that's what the therefore means, 13, take up the full armor of God. Armor. You know what armor's for? It's protective. So that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having feet shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then this phrase, 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So notice something important. I'm not talking about that whole passage now. But as he wraps up his overall description of protecting the Christian life, all the provisions... He comes to talk about just salvation in general. The whole life received graciously from God through Christ. Salvation. And after mentioning all the other aspects, he calls salvation very specifically the helmet of salvation. That's because more than anything else, being saved has to do with your interests your priorities, your loyalties. I mean, I'm oversimplifying a bit, but but your head, the things that go on in here. And if the battle with the devil is going to be won, it's the inner life of the mind that will need protecting. So that's that's the third thing I'm talking about in learning to wait on God all the day. Look out for the things. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. D, last point. How to wait on God all the day. Be alert to the very next thing Jesus would do in your circumstances. Make this your conscious approach to all of life. Make it your habit, not just an occasional calling on God. I actually see this in that text I just read, the lengthy one from Ephesians 6 where in that 15th verse he says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We used to sing, didn't we, those words frequently when we gathered together, take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. I, uh, I have an old book of sermons by a great Baptist preacher 
J.W. Jowett. And, and he talks about this very verse. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace from Ephesians 6.15. He talks about those words, and, and here's what he says. It's not long. He says, this implies a way of living in which the soul keeps itself reverently posed toward the eternal. That's a great phrase. With, with an alert readiness to know and to do the will of the Lord in the very next step. Your feet shod in the very next step. It's wonderful. That's it exactly. Have you, have you ever been anywhere and felt that growing worm in your stomach that you really shouldn't be there uh, with friends or watching a certain movie or a show on Netflix? And as you listen to the F word over and over again and you see people committing adultery and all sorts of sexual perversion and, and you just you watch it all, and the Holy Spirit just kind of leans into your soul and says, boy, I, I made you for so much better than this. See, it's what you do then. Don't step around it. It's what you do then that determines whether you wait on the Lord all the day. Because, because that's where the transformation happens. Let's pray. Oh, your word is so good. Even if the preacher isn't that good, your, your word is good. And it has power to shape our lives. Jesus, come and make what we've studied today believable for everyone and applicable for everyone. We wait to see what you will unfold in our lives as we learn to wait on you all the day, abiding in you. Granted, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.